listen, gentlemen, we got our guests waiting. I'm, I'm anxious to bring them on. Um, let's talk about it. What, what's our topic today, gentlemen? What's on the table? <clears throat> listen, today's a day we're going to talk about the black church and its impact in the community. We're talking about community engagement, the black wow. church and the impact that the black church has on the community. Ah, good stuff. This is always fascinating, Roger. So who's at the table yes. today, Pastor Wade? Well, I, I am just so excited. These two guests are good friends of mine. Well, I call them my good friends. I hope consider me their good friend. But uh, I am just excited to have with us Pastor Dariel Hoy, who is the communications director for the Office for Office, Office for Regional Conference Ministries uh, there in Huntsville, Alabama, and for the Office of Regional Conference Retirement Plan. So she takes care of the communications for them. But her background is in community engagement. Um, her ministry is so so filled with connecting the church with the community. We are just excited to have her be with us. And we have with us a returning guest who is uh, world-known, worldwide-known. He is a, oh, so you've a heard Grammy of Award winner. Uh, he <laughs> sang... I said, oh, so I mean, you've heard you... of him. <laughs> yes, yes, right. yes, I've heard of him. <laughs> um, he's a preacher extraordinaire. Yes. Um, what a wonderful spirit, a, a, a wealth of knowledge, and also very, very committed to connecting uh, the black church to the community. And I speak none other than Pastor Wintley Phipps. So let's bring them on. All, All right. right, let's bring them on. And here they are. Hello, hello, right. hello. Glad to have both of you with us on this wonderful Sabbath afternoon. Thank you again for taking the time to join us today. Dario, this is your first time, correct? Pastor Hoy yes. with us. And uh, our PRT crowd is certainly familiar with um, Pastor Phipps, who has been with us before, and we are delighted to have him back. Um, Dr. Henry, we're going to ask you to have us uh, start with an opening prayer, and then we're going to give our guest an opportunity to just greet our our audience for a minute or two before we get into the discussion for today. All right, let's pray. Father, how wonderful it is to be able to have these discussions that will ignite us to do more work and impact for the kingdom of God. I ask God that this will be a fruitful conversation. We are so blessed to have these guests on us on with us today, and we want to do everything towards your honor, towards your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, Pastor Hoy, we gave a, a little brief intro uh, to our audience about who you are and what you're doing, but I know we probably left a whole lot out. So we're going to give you just a, a minute or two here. If there's anything that you want to just fill us in on, on where you are, what you're doing, how it works, um, or anybody just want to shout out today, we're going to give you, how much time are we giving them, guys? Um, today, I'm going to give you 59.7 seconds. She's a preacher. She's a oh, preacher. Oh, be, okay, my bad, my bad. Be my careful, bad, Pastor bad. Paul. She's a preacher. Okay, okay. she's I a preacher. I'm trying to you. tell you. I got Pastor you. Hoy. I got you. Okay, <laughs> Pastor Hoy, we're gonna give you 37.2 seconds. There you go. Uh, <laughs> the time it is, is yours. my pleasure to be with you. Um, to my friends, Pastor Wade, Pastor Paul, and Pastor Henry, my three friends whose last names could be first names. Um, I'm super excited to be with you along with Dr. Phipps to talk about community engagement. It is my passion. It is my heart. It is uh, what I believe God wants his church to do. 
is uh, not sit behind the walls, the gates, uh, but to be out and to be active. And so from the beginning of my ministry um, in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, and even before that, um, I was a community organizer. Uh, I worked with uh, the Children's Defense Fund and the Black Community Crusade for Children and an organization called the Black Student Leadership Network, uh, where we engage the community and in particularly churches uh, in policy making that benefited our communities and especially our children. And so uh, being here today is just to me an extension of um, the passion God has given me. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity and I'm really thankful that you're taking time to talk about this subject. Great stuff. Great stuff. Now, I, I just I I'm, I'm not going to be able to give Pastor Phipps, Dr. Phipps, that time thing. So I don't know, uh, Pastor Wade. Uh, <laughs> by the way, that's the first time, uh, Pastor Hoy, that any that I that's brought to, been brought to our attention about our all of our last names being first names. All right, Pastor, but, Pastor uh, Hoy, Pastor Hoy is very insightful, man. This is a graduate from Duke University, man. This is a, listen, right. we got a heavy hitter on here. I'm trying mercy. to tell you, <laughs> mercy. All right, all right, Pastor Phipps, we are grateful to have you. The time is yours, sir. Anything you want to say to our, our greet our audience this afternoon? Well, first of all, I want to <clears throat> thank you for this privilege of sharing today, and let you know that uh, it's an honor to be with. All of you who I respect so much, uh, I'm particularly just amazed and grateful that you have put together this forum and that it is one that uh, is, has been so well received, but for the creativity that you've been doing, uh, the, the, the efforts that you have placed to make this work, kudos, kudos. Uh, the only thing I can say, and I want to say right now, is that, you know, I'm the president of the U.S. Dream Academy, and I'm also, it's an organization that tutors and mentors children of incarcerated parents. And uh, I pastor the Palm Bay Church. And in a few weeks, in a few weeks, I will be celebrating my 20th year of pastoring at the Palm Bay Church. So I'm kind of oh, into wow. <laughs> I'm into EC war territory. Okay. I got to do this just for that. <laughs> beautiful. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. Congratulations. Congratulations. I, I think there's a lot of pastors on that who are like, I would never want to be at a church that long. How could I survive at one place for that long? So, so blessings, man. Lord has blessed and yes. continuing to bless you and blessing your ministry. Listen, so. listen, you, you know what, it, you know, what's interesting is the pastors who don't, you don't hear any complaints about, you don't hear any issues. Mm. They're just enjoying it over there. So there must be a secret at Palm, at Palm Bay. I might have to talk to your president. I wouldn't mind going to a church that's going to be so nice and hang, hang with the pastor that long. Now. You know, That tells me something. Well, if you have, if you have just a second, I will tell you, whenever I have gone to a church and I've pastored, you know, the church before that was seven years and the church before that was 10 years. Wow. Uh, so uh, I've had four churches in 45 years, essentially. And so oh, whenever I go to church, I give them the same speech in my first okay. sermon. I said, now, if you see a beautiful woman and you ask her to marry you, to sit her down the first morning after the honeymoon night and say, now, baby, all that you used to do that made you so attractive to me, I want you to stop it. 
I said, I don't think that'd be wise. And then I, I would tell the church, when you heard there was this marriage about to take place between my ministry and ethos and the ministry of this church, to sit me down the morning after the first honeymoon night and say, now, Pastor, all that you used to do that made you so attractive, we want you to stop it. I, I said, I don't think that'd be wise. And then I would say, but if you would just let me do whatever mm -hmm. God calls me to do, let me go wherever God calls me to go. I believe that my ministry will continue to flourish and the ministry of this church will blossom beyond our wildest dreams. And whenever mm -hmm. the church is pastor, we're gonna covenant together. And if there's any slack, we'll pick it up. Oh my. Mm. We, we, will be, we will become a working church and, and, and I have had 20 years of the most amazing pastoring experience I've ever had in my life with a wow. church that I love and whose members that I love, but more than that, I know they love me and pray for me. So wherever I am in the world, I can assure you that I know my church family, my church, they're praying for me. They see me not, not just as the pastor of the Palm Bay Church, but the pastor from the Palm Bay Church. All right. Wow. Come on. That's great stuff. Wow. That That's is good. Awesome. That's good. Listen, That's good. That leads us, that leads us right into our first question because uh what yes. you shared about is is the history of connecting with the, mm. the church and the community. So my first question off out of the box, and I'm gonna shoot this one to you, Dr. Phipps. What has been the role of the church historically black community? What has been the role? What, what, what can you share with us about that? Well, the church has played an unbelievably integral role in the progress of black people in this country. Uh, were it not for the church, there would be no social progress. There would be no economic progress. Uh, you, you know, whether it's um, the, the, the pastors who, of course, they, they didn't know how to read and the members weren't allowed to read, but they were able to take the stories and put them in song. The pastor had to learn how to how to sing, if you understand what I'm saying, and mm -hmm. and he would share the stories. And uh, so the church has been the foundation of every aspect of progress for Black people in this country. And 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 if we are not progressing now as we should be, it is because there has been a disconnect mm. between, the church, between the church and the black community. Wow. That's what I believe. Uh, Pastor Hoy? Yeah, Your I thought. think uh, I agree with uh, Dr. Phipps. Um, our black churches in the United States were born in slavery. Uh, we, um, it was considered dangerous and even subversive to have churches and, um, the black slaves, uh, they met in meeting houses. And uh, as Christianity grew and different denominations said, okay, well, uh, we need to give the enslaved people the gospel, uh, you know, churches began to blossom into what we know as the church. And as an integral part of that, it was, um, you know, key to the social well-being of the black community it was key to our political uh 
It was um, part of the Underground Railroad. I had the privilege of being in uh, Niagara Falls with my mom and my sisters, and we just visited some of the Underground Railroad sites. And uh, it is no surprise that there were Black churches that were part mm. of that Underground Railroad network. And so mm. I think as we look at the development of churches, uh, we have always been a part of the community uh, for the advancement of Black people. Uh, so um, even now, I think the church is still, still significant, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but I think uh, as we look out through the history, it's where we birthed our leaders, uh, male mm. and female. Wow. Uh, it's mm. where we... Uh, came together for the causes uh, that helped advance us. Uh, it's where um, the the heart of the Black community has taken place in the past has been the church. Wow. Mm. That's fascinating. I, I, I'd like uh, Pastor Wade to kind of push a little further on that question. I, I know, and, and just to dig a little deeper on that, I know that many times when people think about the Black church, the context often or in some context may simply revolve around black worship. And so church is seen as simply a place where people come together and they talk theology, they talk about Jesus, they have this worship experience. But what it sounds like I'm hearing is that it sounds like the history of the black church has included much more beyond just the worship experience. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Phipps, I heard you mention something about they were not allowed. They were not allowed to read, um, but and so they would sing some of those things. Is, is there a connection, or has there been a connection in the past to the Black Church and education among Black people? Absolutely, um, the Black Church was where uh, people actually, first of all heard the stories of the Bible, uh, internalized them, learned the principles mm. that would form the foundation of being a race of character wow. and people of character. Uh, were, and so, and that's where our first schools were. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, folks, folks, even if you go back to, to Oakwood, uh, you know, that's where we learned uh, all of the, the, the higher educational skills uh, uh, and principles that would carry us into the future. And that's one of our problems today. We are struggling. Our schools are, are struggling today. Mm -hmm. and, and I would also say, as our schools go in the Black community, so go our communities. Uh, I would also, if you allow me to share this one, one thing, uh, we need the black church now to step up in ways like never mm -hmm. before. I wanna tell you one of the reasons why. Um, uh, Forbes magazine just published an article and uh, it cited uh, some information from uh, a study by the Barbara Bush Foundation and the Department of Education. And it showed that between the ages of 16 and 74, get this, 55% of all Americans between the ages of 16 and 74 mm -hmm. 
cannot read above a sixth grade level. Now think wow. about that for a moment. Hmm. Think about that for a moment. 55% of everybody in the United States of America between the ages of 16 and 74 can't even read above a sixth grade level. 95% of all, all Bibles and Bible study materials are published above a sixth grade level. So wow. even if they wanted to read a Bible or wanted to have a Bible study, they couldn't read it. And, and, I'm, and that's all Americans. We know it's even worse in the African-American community. So I believe we need a new push. We need a new push for to see literacy as ministry in the black community. Wow. Because, uh, uh, you know, I, I told my church this morning, Somebody took the time to teach the boy Jesus how to read. I mean, he, he, he wasn't <laughs> reading in the he wasn't reading in the manger. Somebody took the time to teach Jesus phonically. Yeah, we can't we can't imagine that. Um, but it was because he was able to read and and in, and saturate his mind with the scriptures that he was able to in the in the uh, in the wilderness when he was tempted. And uh, the devil said, turn these stones into bread. Guess what Jesus did? He pulled back from his memory bank what he read, mm. what he had studied. Mercy. You know, and, 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 and so we have a generation that no longer has that. They have not, they, they can't read. Uh, mm. By the age of 30, 60% of all black boys in the United States of America who do not graduate from high school will be in prison by the age of 30. Wow. 60% of every single black boy in America who does not graduate from high school will be in prison by the age of 30. And 80% of them can't read above a fourth grade, third grade level. So we have, we have a, an opportunity. I don't just see it as something that we need to moan about. We have an opportunity yeah. as a church mm -hmm. to step up and see literacy as ministry. And finally, I told my, my mm -hmm. church this morning, what if in heaven beside your name is recorded, taught Jesus how to read? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. How, how, would you, how would you feel about that, right? But, Je but Jesus said, as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so I'm praying that we as a denomination we as a regional church, that we will begin as a black community to see there's a great need to strengthen literacy in the black community and that we will take the lead on that and see literacy as ministry. Wow, mm. that, that's huge. Wow. I, I know I kind of hijacked your question, Dr. Wade. Um, I passed away, but I... I, I <laughs> I, I want to hijack it one more with one more follow up. And I want to, if I may, may I? You may, you may. Cause all actually right. that's, you are doing what I wanted to do because okay. we, although we know we have a, a historical sense of what happening, I think now that they are dealing with it, I love the fact that we sometimes think church is not about dealing with those things like literacy. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'd, I'd like to throw this in at, 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 at Pastor Hoy, and I know I, did, we, I didn't prep her for this, or we didn't prep her for this, but it's a question that came to mind as I'm listening. So, so that was an educational piece. And again, when people think about the role of the black church historically, sometimes it's just confined to the, the mm-hmm. concept of worship. Has there been, to your knowledge, a role in economic development that the church has played in the economic development. We know that education has a strong role to play in economic development, but anything outside of that in terms of financiality, just, just as far as what we know, not necessarily what's happening now or what's not happening now, but in the past, and do we know of anything specifically or, or, or generally where, where the church has, and, and Dr. Phipps, you can respond to that as well if you, if you like, and Pastor Hoy, if there's something you want to say about the education piece as well, feel, feel free. Sure. I, I think uh, when we think about the Black church, we, we have to realize it was born out of the Black experience. And we've gone through many experiences, and the church has always been right there with us through the many experiences that we've gone through as Black people. Mm. And so in terms of the economic, Black churches have played a critical role uh, in churches, we've organized mutual aid societies so that we could help the poor. You know, we looked at the Bible and we see Jesus uh, ministering to the needs of the people. We see in the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed because they didn't help the poor. And, and so in our context of ministry, uh, we realize that we have a role to play uh, to the poor, but not just to the poor, to helping Black people advance. And so uh, economics has been a huge part of it uh, from uh, taking the offering and building schools or taking the offerings and and building homes for single moms uh, to taking offerings uh, to uh, helping prisoners who are who have been incarcerated and now are re-entering society. Those are things that the Black church has done uh, to help aid and to advance our people. And the role is still there. Um, Phipps, I started ministry in Baltimore. And when I got there, uh, we were being doing the big net with Walter Pearson. And right. um, I was part of that Bible working team that went out and we would pass out those Bible studies and we come back the next week and we'd see them littering the streets. We'd see them still on the people's coffee tables. They were used as um, posters and we wondered what was going on. And that's when we learned that uh, for the city of Baltimore, particularly among males, only a quarter of the males in Baltimore could read above the sixth grade level. And so the Bible studies we had chosen for wow. that net were above the people's education level. And so we had to go back and say, what do we do? And in the process of doing that, I was so excited that some of our churches said, okay, this isn't just about people reading our Bible studies. This is about people's lives being changed. And what we can wow. do to help change people's lives is literacy. And some of our churches birthed their literacy programs out of that experience. And so it was not just about, oh, I want you to come to my church. It was about wow. our church is here to bless your life. And so to me, as long as the black church realizes we're here to bless people, not just in terms of 
coming to church, but to bless the whole person, wow. then we'll always be relevant. Wow. Listen, I, you, Pastor Hoy, you said some things there and, and Pastor Phipps about the um, engagement of the Black church. You mentioned this Black experience, right? The experience of, of Black people through the ages, through history. And, and we can see that um, our experience, well, let me ask you this. Has our experience changed from the civil rights um, you know, movement and the family being, it seemed as if the family was more engaged with the black church. Now, has the experience changed? Um, can you comment on that a little bit, Pastor Hoy and then, and then Pastor Phipps? Sure, I think throughout, I think first of all, we should realize there is no monolithic black community. There's no one black community uh, today. I think as we think about early black community, uh, when we were enslaved, uh, we, we, we didn't have anything else. And uh, in the early years, uh, we didn't have anything except for the church. That was where we built community. It was what we had. Uh, as you get into the times as the 1920s, the Harlem Renaissance, as you move forward in history, uh, you see that Black people, as they gain economically, they had other avenues. And then you get to uh, like the 1980s when we have the Pepsi generation and affirmative action allows black people into corporate America more so. Uh, black people began to have other avenues uh, to, as opposed to just the black church. And so uh, we've had all of these different black experiences and we're still having black experiences uh, even now. Uh, the, the thing about it, though, is as long as the Black church uh, looks and learns and is uh, actively engaged, then we meet the needs that are there. Then we can minister as Jesus did. I like to, you know, break down Ministry of Healing, page 143, to I say Jesus socialized, Jesus sympathized, Jesus served. Jesus secured and then Jesus saved. And as long as we are in the community, as long as we uh, as a church don't build gates and walls, uh, then, then we will continue to be relevant to uh, not just the black community, but beyond. Hmm. I, I think it might be helpful to give a little historical perspective. Um, you know, and but I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying this. It is one of the greatest miracles of all history mm. that black people in America are Christians. Mercy. Wow. <laughs> it is That's one right. of the greatest miracles of all history mm. that black people in the United States of America are Christians. Now, uh, I, I I do a lot, of, I watch a lot of documentaries and, and I'm always fascinated by the fact that these little tiny countries in Europe, and I mean tiny, Germany, tiny, uh, Portugal. Uh, Portugal, tiny, Belgium, uh, you know, just Spain, it, they're tiny countries, but they had the arrogance <laughs> to think that anywhere, well, it was actually, um, it's called a doctrine of discovery. The Pope gave uh, an edict that said, 
as you can go anywhere in the world and if you don't see christians it's yours wow and so so they just took over africa they took over south america they took over north america but uh there were about 12 million slaves taken from africa uh 10 million survived 2 million died in the crossing of the 10 million get this of the 10 million about 7 million of the 10 went to brazil Hmm. Brazil has the largest amount of black people from Africa any, than anywhere else in the world. Uh, of the 10 million, only 384,000 black slaves ever made it to the United States of America. All African Americans come from 384,000 slaves that made it to the United States. Uh, a lot of people think slavery ended in 1865, but did you know that in 1810, uh, the United States outlawed the importation of any new slaves. So the only way they were able to get more slaves was they bred them, they took the women. Uh, actually, they would get a big mandigo from off the field and, and chain him up. And, and they would pass women through him. And, uh, and that's how they would get new slaves. Uh, and there, there, there is a, 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 how can I say, a support of that from the Christian church and, and that has gone on for centuries. And, uh, and the fact that African-Americans were able to look beyond the, uh, their captors and see Jesus. I believe, mm. I believe, the, I believe the, the reason for it, that they were able to embrace Jesus is because I tell people, no slave will be able to look at Jesus and say, you didn't understand what I went through mm. because they too were chained and they too were scourged and they too were tortured. And, and so the fact that we have this experience of Christianity amongst black people in the United States mm. of America, it's one of the greatest miracles of history. And it's a testament to the power of Jesus Christ. Wow. Amen. Wow. And, and not only that, our, our church wasn't necessarily the slave owners church. We were able to look beyond the slave owner's religion and fashion our own religion based on what we heard in the Bible. And we definitely clung to Jesus as the liberator. And we understood that, you know, we might go through this trouble for a little time, but there's a great day of coming. And, and <laughs> so, uh, again, being our religion being born out of this experience of, of suffering and, and understanding that there's a Jesus who's going to set us free and understanding that as we come together and we help one another, we get better. And that's still the role of the black church, understanding that, you know, there's a Jesus who's going to deliver us because we, we might not be in slavery, but we still have burdens today. We still have things destroying us today and understanding that as a community, as we come together and we help one another, 
it just makes this this road this journey a, a little better uh as we wait for jesus I, I, I also i also tell people that storms always take out trees with the weakest roots first hmm. wow <laughs> african-americans again this is another miracle african-americans are the only people group who did not come to the United States of America as families. Mm. Nor, nor could they send for extended family mm. like every other immigrant group. And, you know, people often say, well, wasn't it so long ago? It was not that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. My wife, uh, Linda, uh, we would go, we go to her family grave plot and where my wife's father's buried, his tombstone shows that my wife, who is 68 years old, her father was born in 1882 and his father was born earlier in the 1800s a slave. So my wife's grandfather, not her great, great or nothing like that. Her grandfather was a slave. And, and, and the fact that these, these storms that have come to, to this nation, the storm of divorce, the storm mm -hmm. of disintegration of the family, the storm of drugs, the storm of crime, all the societal storms that have hit this country have been taking out the trees with the weakest family roots first. And, and, and we have never really been able, as a black church, if there's one thing we have not figured out how to do, we did it well, but uh, around the turn of the century, around early 1900s, black families were more intact than white families yes. in the early 1900s. A black family was more likely to, to be a mother, father, children, raising children than mm. even white families. But when those storms came, they took, they took out. And the church has not been able and has not done a good job. I, I, I just have to say, the church has not done a good job mm -hmm. in putting back together the, the Black family in this country. And we need to figure it out because we're not going to get far if we're, if we're behind in education and we're behind in strengthening the family. Well, Pastor Paul, before I, I think you were going to ask Go something, ahead. but before you ask that, I, I just have a burning question here because you mentioned that the black family has has changed as far as you know what what we've been through and so forth, um, and we're talking about the black church, right? So the black church made up of these families um, that that have changed now. What what are what are some of the the things that are that the black church or these black families are challenged with, as the black church black families try to engage with the community? So so let let's spell it out here. What are some of the the, the things that the black church the black family because the church is made up of families? What are the what are what are they challenged with or what are we challenged with? That is well, is, I, I, is I'll give you a couple of statistics for you to, everybody to, to mull over, but 80% um, of all black children in America will never sit at a table with a mother and a father. 
growing up. So they don't even know or see what a family is. Mercy. And you become like what you see. You, and that's, that's part of our challenge. So you talk about the, the, the need for the church to step up. The, need, the church has to step up to help strengthen black families. And forgive me for just sharing these statistics as, as, as I, as you, you raised them. I, I, I want no, to share. No, don't, don't apologize for that, but I want to clarify. You, you said eight, zero, 80%. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. 80% of African-American children are being raised in a single parent home or by mom, uh, by a single mother or, and, and I tell, also tell people, when the Bible says that true ministry is ministry to the fatherless and to the widows, mm. these children, uh, you know, who so many of them are being raised without fathers, they are fatherless. Mm. Mm-hmm. And these mothers who are trying to raise these children alone and these aunties and grandmamas, they're, they're modern day widows. And so we wow. need to, to, we need to turn our church's ministry apparatus to strengthen the, the black family because most black children ha- have never even seen in the flesh a family for themselves. And so we need better yeah. men's ministries. Right. Uh, so, so <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I got to get off my little soapbox here. But is the black church made up of strong black families not anymore it's made up it's made up of single women raising children by and large by but, and large. but now, that's still a family that, I, I, yeah. I want us to be careful by by saying that's not a family that's absolutely. still a family absolutely right. you're correct but i will right. say this i will say this. you know what uh, winston churchill once said it he said a loving uh, a loving mother with a caring father raising healthy children, he said, he said it this way, no superior alternative has been found. Mm. All right. <laughs> okay, I, I'll agree with that. Uh, but even, you know, single mothers raising children, that's, that's, that's a family. And, uh, you know, yeah. by the grace of God, we, we have lots of single moms who are, are doing fantastic jobs. And as you said, it's, it's not the, the best, in terms of um, the best alternative, but it is what it is. Um, I yeah. think um, as we look at the black church today, uh, we've got to realize a few things. We've got to realize the diversity of our world today. Uh, mm-hmm. Generation alpha, the newest generation, uh, every nine seconds in America, uh, there's a child being born who's part of generation alpha. And they are the most racially and ethnically diverse generation ever. And so what we knew as the black church, uh, we are now seeing uh, a difference. Uh, When I pastored in little small Topeka, Kansas, uh, none of my couples below the age of 30 were same race couples. Uh, they were all mixed race couples and, and just little Topeka, Kansas. And so when you think about the rest of the United States, you think about um, on the West Coast and on the East Coast where there's more diversity, um, 
we realized that the black church, there's, there's no one black church anymore, uh, but the church that's led by black people as of now, we still have a responsibility to our communities. And I think uh, as we look about at some of the problems, um, we see racial injustice. And that's something uh, that especially young people care about. Uh, we see our political situ situation. We see the stripping of voting rights, uh, putting us back where we were in the 1960s. Uh, we see economically we're, we're not doing well. Uh, and those are all issues that have to be addressed by the church. And those were things that the church did in the past. Um, you know, when I think about the Montgomery boycott and how the church was used and how the community came together and they gave each other rides so that, uh, you know, people wouldn't take the buses and mm. uh, there was no shopping downtown uh, to force uh, an economic crisis so that people had to say, okay, black people have the same rights as us. Uh, we still have economic situations where we can band together and, and work uh, miracles in our community if we have the will and the heart to do it. I think our focus has, has and, and I'm not just talking about Adventism, but I think a lot of the Black church, our focus has been come for one day week religion and not living out our religion every day of the week. Wow. Wow. Pastor Hoyer, you said something I wanted to piggyback on, and, and where the, I think one of the greatest needs is, is for black fathers and black men uh, mm. to, to, to be brought back into this, this uh, very important role of raising black boys, particularly. Mm -hmm. um, there's something, you know, the music industry, for example, back in the 70s, began to emasculate the black male solo singing voice. You see, we remember when oh, wow. men sounded like men when they sang. And, and so, you know, you'll never find, or we're all singing low, or, or, <laughs> or Barry White, or Barry White. Uh, we remember when, and there's something that happens in the psyche of a black boy when he hears a black male voice that does not happen when auntie or grandmama say, come here, boy. When he, when he hears, come here, boy, in that, in another tone, another, from another space and another place, there's something that comes to attention. And, and I, I, you know, I give great kudos for, as I, as a, a child myself, who was ostensibly for the first 10 years of my life raised by a single mother. I, I know how important that is, but I also know that something's gone wrong that we've got to fix. Uh, and I'll give you one, one little statistic that underscores that. Did you know that between the ages of 18 and 30, today, one of every three African-American males is now on probation, in prison or parole or supervised by the court system of the United States of America. Between the ages of 18 and 30, today, 
one of every three black men in the United States are being supervised by the court system of the United States mm. of America. Wow. Uh, and, and so we've got it. We, we got a lot of work to do. That's what I'm saying. We got a lot of work to do. And, and to your point, we need to get black fathers and black men into the picture in ways that we've never, we haven't seen them in a long time. Yeah, so, I'm, so, so I'm, I'm sensing, I'm sensing. Then uh, we, 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 we really gave a good foundation on the historic, the historical sense of the role that the church has played in the community. But we've now also pulled the bandaid off and looked at what is missing in our society today. Um, and you, you all have named a number of things the church has not been doing. Um, but I know, Dr. Henry, your your next question really helps us to to pivot onto um, where, where we can move forward. I saw in the chat, uh, someone asked, what can we do to help stem the tide of the, of the pain and the suffering that we have just been speaking about? Is there, before we jump into that second question, what can we do to kind of, um, but let me, let, me not ask for the, let me not ask for the answer. What can we do to help our local churches see the problem? But what are some of the things we can mm. do to help? Because some of them are probably acting like, I didn't know that. I always say I am the church. For me, it always starts with me. And when I see issues that I have the power to fix, then I act. Wow. Mm. I try to bring other people along who, who agree with me. Um, and, and I act. Um, I try to talk with the community of my church members and get them to act. But even if my church with the four walls does not act, I am the church and I act. And as I look at um, our churches today, sometimes we are mm -hmm. very comfortable with being spectators because mm. we don't want to interrupt the flow of our lives. I think um, there's some legitimate reasons, but I think by and, large, by and large, we get comfortable in society. And especially the more that we get, you know, uh, the less that we do for our communities. Mm. Um, yeah. And I hate uh, to say it, but a lot of times we're chasing the dollar. <laughs> as, as God's people, we, you know, we're trying to get our piece of the pie and we leave others behind. Ouch. <laughs> well, I, I, I agree with you. And, and I think that we have a big problem. Uh, we have many problems, but one of them is we have a, a system of governance that, uh, and, and political, uh, uh, I want to say, what, what do you call that when you move chairs around? Uh, <laughs> musical chairs or fruit basket yeah, upset. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's a system that rewards mediocrity and punishes creativity. Wow. And, 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 and we, have a, we have a political system that needs transformation because what's happening is you know what it's a cry? This this is a cry for? This is a cry for leadership. Mm. This mm. is a cry what we, we mm. don't we don't have 
we do not have strong, I want to say, spirit-filled, spirit-led, charismatic leadership that can inspire publics and inspire the churches and inspire members to step up and do, uh, Pastor Hoy, what you're talking about, uh, to, to not just stay on the sidelines, but to step up. But but for for that to happen, you 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 you've got to have leaders. But we have a system where if you speak to any conference president today, they will tell you they they're they're more managers than they are leaders. They're, 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 they got a lot of st moving parts on, on the table and, uh, and something has to change. And I also think that we need to in involve our members in providing leadership uh, in, in a very unique way, some kind of a synergistic hybrid between leadership or between leaders, pastors and members. Uh, we, can't, we can't think that all, all that's needed rest in in those of us who went to Andrews all, all that's needed <laughs> to figure this out and to get it done there are so many gifts and talents among members in our churches so for, so for example we if we had a, a consortium of everybody in our conferences who were CPAs uh, to help us financially run the church it would be a whole it would be a whole lot better run than those of us who who got you know mdiv degrees uh sitting up in these positions uh leading in this way so i'm just saying that we we need we need strong leadership and and uh and that's one of the things that's going to help us greatly ouch dr phipps ouch 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 <laughs> you know um <laughs> uh, one of my um, icons of the civil rights movement was a lady by the name of ella joe baker and what yeah. she said is strong people don't need strong leaders and what she meant was when we empower people to do what god has called them to do mm. then they don't need yeah. that charismatic leader over them telling them what to do Mercy. when they know no. that they are gifted by god when they wow. know that yeah. they don't need mm. permission to lead because they've already gotten it from God. When they realize that they are the church, then people go out and they do the things God wants them to do. And our churches are stronger when we come together. And, and that's really been what I try to model in ministry. I try to empower the people that are there not to depend on me uh, as a charismatic leader, but to use their giftedness and their talents and their connections and their resources to make the world a better place. And I, I hope, um, you know, as we move forward as a church, I hope that uh, we realize that no one person has the answer. And that's why we have a church. That's why we have a, a body. God puts us all there together. And, and as it says in Corinthians, you know, uh, all the body parts work together. And if one body part is hurt, the, the entire body is hurt. And, and that's my dream for this church. My dream is to see um, the people empowered to be the church that God is calling us to be. Wow. I, I agree with you. And I, I, I'll, I'll tell you like this. I believe there's a place for a Paul. Mm -hmm. And there is a place 
for Moses and there's a place for leaders uh, and the, but they are not the ones to be doing everything if I can say it like that. Um, what, let me also just share with you uh, one of the great blessings of my life uh, is I have, and I'm trying to say this uh, politically correct, um, 80, 90% of all of my support through the years of ministry has come from outside the church. Mm -hmm. and I'm talking every, almost every, every, every piece of music you've ever heard me sing, all of it has been the result of people outside of our faith discipline who said, you've got something that we want the rest of the world to hear or the church to hear. And, and, and because of that, I have been blessed to, to, to be up close with some of the greatest leaders um, of the 20th century, literally, uh, whether it be the last six presidents of the United States that I've either had breakfast with or sit at the table with. I give God all the glory because I'm, I'm a manager. I don't have an agent. I couldn't that up. I was in the crowd. That, I, I was in the crowd to welcome Nelson Mandela when he came out of prison. Uh, so uh, you know, but one of the greatest blessings for me was in my twenties. I traveled a lot with another leader by the name of Jesse Jackson, and Jesse Jackson hmm. would take me all over the United States with him. He would take me all over the world. He said, "Hey, Wendley, what you doing Tuesday? I can't come go to Africa with me." You know. And and, uh, and so I wouldn't I wouldn't tell my conference president you know I just jump on the plane you know what I mean so uh, <laughs> but but my, my point is I I learned so much one of the things that Jesse Jackson did for me was he introduced me to the the the, the pulse of the civil rights movement that I, I I wasn't old enough to march in the fifties of course but. But every major civil rights leader, I was able to get up close to and minister to. You know, I was at the bedside of Ralph Abernathy when he had his heart attack. I ministered to, um, uh, uh, you know, Rosa Parks for her 77th birthday at the Kennedy Center, and 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 whether it be Dorothy Height, who was on the podium with with Dr. King when he gave his uh, "I Have a Dream" speech, and, and so I've been able to be blessed to be around. I, I couldn't. I couldn't be there with the civil rights movement, but I, I'm so so grateful that I was able to serve in ministering to so many of the heroes and the sheroes and the leaders of the civil rights. I'll give you one one little last thing. Um, one day, Jesse Jackson was speaking in the uh, uh, state legislature in Jefferson City, Missouri, and we got into uh, we got off a little private plane and we got into a limousine. And the driver was excited and he started driving. And Jesse leaned up and said, hey man, where are we going? The driver said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going by my aunt's house. Uh, uh, we're, going, we're going to make a quick stop by my grandma's house and, and then we're going to the hotel. And Jesse said, no, 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 no. He said, we're going straight to the hotel. The man sheepishly said, okay, no, no problem. We'll, we, we'll go to the hotel. And as he kept driving, I'm in my twenties. Jesse's in his late thirties. He turns to me. And he says, never live your life by someone else's agenda. Mm. 
a, a little piece of wisdom that he got from Dr. King, he passed it on to me and it has been awesome for me. And so, so I, I'm, I'm just grateful that I'm able, I, I have been able to be integrated into the life of the civil rights movement with so many of the heroes and sheroes. So again, we've been looking, we've been looking at this discussion from the context in theory of the black church in general. We haven't intentionally denominationalized it and yet we have been digging into some of that stuff that we know that is unique to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So let's go there intentionally right now. Um, so we, we've talked about some of the impact that the, the black church historically has had. We've already been dipping our toes into this water of our own denomination. Now, Dr. Phipps, you've talked about some of the structural issues that, that seem to kind of hamstring us. But I'd like to in this just next segment here is the Seventh-day Adventist Church denomination that whether it's the Black Adventist Church or just the Black or, or just the Adventist Church is there an impact that the Adventist Church is having and what are what what what's the potential? What are we seeing in terms of potential? And we've thrown out a whole lot of statistics and numbers that I think speak to some to some potential. But I'd like to have either of you or both of you just take a stab at at what are our opportunities um, and, and what are some of the threats that we are seeing regarding not just the black church in general, but let's put it inside the context of Adventism. So last week. Um we had on uh, the ORCM live stream uh, three pastors uh, who I adore, Pastor Novella Smith, Pastor uh, Jamie Calazar, and Pastor Ron Williams, and they highlighted how they're engaged in Pastor the community. Hoy, Pastor Hoyt, before you continue, please share with our audience, audience what ORCM means so that the they Office know. The Office for Regional Conference Ministries, um, oh. and that is, um, it's the, the organization that uh, works, uh, it's the collaborative arm of all the nine regional conferences plus the regional ministries of the West Coast. Uh, so we, we were privileged to be talking about community engagement as well and uh, had guests on who were talking about their ministries and um, it was exciting uh, to hear about an arts academy in Dallas, Texas. It was exciting to hear about uh, a youth ministry that is uh, doing uh, entrepreneurial uh, activities with young wow. people, teaching them how to have a car detailing business, teaching them how to wow. have uh, a barber business. Uh, it was a pleasure to hear Dr. Ron Williams talk about how his church uh, is part of the community-wide Stop the Violence initiative in Chester, Pennsylvania, one of the most violent cities. Uh, and, and they're all actively engaged as pastors as well as bringing their churches along with them. And, um, you know, I think as uh, I, I say said it and I say it all the time, I talk about, you know, you, we have to socialize. We have to actually mm. be in our communities. Uh, and to see what is going on in the community. And then we have to sympathize. We have to realize that what's happening in the community is, is our enemy's um, desire to destroy us. And as God's people, we weigh in. We, we become part of the fight. 
we serve, we meet the needs that are there and the need in one community might not be the same as the need in another community. And, and when we do this, we secure people's trust. They begin to wow. trust us and, and, and we share the gospel because we know that the gospel is the answer to every problem. Um, but while we're getting there to share the gospel, uh, we, we meet the needs because that's what Jesus would have done. And so I think the Seventh-day Adventist Church, yes, we have an impact in the community as long as we are engaged in the community. Now, are all churches engaged? No. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely. Um, what gets us there is the people of God being the church of God and saying, I want to do my part. Um, my very uh, first church, I, I remember uh, there was a school around the corner and I walked around the corner and I asked the principal, what can my church do to, to serve uh, the school? And, you know, he laughed at me uh, because I was brand new in that community and he'd been in that community for 30 years. Hmm. And he began to tell me the history of my church, the history that I didn't know. Wow. Uh, he could tell me who the members of my church were and who they used to be. He could tell me when my church had split and, and why it's the size that it was, you know, at this point. This man knew more about my community than as a past new pastor coming in than what I knew. And I realized, oh, wow, my church has a reputation problem. My church has an image problem. And, um, you know, the principal then looked at me and he said, um, here's how you can help. He says, I need alarm clocks because there are kids who are getting up in the morning and they're waking their younger brothers and sisters up and getting them to school because their parents are either not engaged or they're off to work. Wow. And so that's on the, the old assembly. And then he said, the second thing I need is the key to your church because uh, when there are tornadoes, um, you know, uh, we want to make sure that we have safe place come that our kids now. can come in your church basement is a shelter. So those were the two things that he, he asked me for. And I went back to my church. I, told him part of what he told me and I asked them for alarm clocks and I asked them to give the key to the church to uh, the principal and uh, they gave me alarm clocks but they said absolutely not you're not going to give him the key to our church you know uh, and, and so I went back and I talked with the principal and I brought him the alarm clocks and he said to me I never expected to see you again wow Wow. That's what he said to me. I never expected to see you again. And it was the start of building a relationship with the school, uh, with the students, with the family, because he had access to what I wanted, which were the kids and the families. And, yeah. and the way I could get the kids and the family, even with my church having a, a reputation problem, was working and partnering with the school and being engaged with the school and, and the principal who was the gatekeeper there. And I think as long as we are out in the community seeking to serve and not just seeking to get someone to an evangelistic meeting, we are going to uh, do all right. We are going to be relevant. We are going to be uh, a resource and, and we're gonna win the hearts of the people but we have to get out in the community and we have to actually meet the needs that are out there. And, and it doesn't mean that we are untrue to our theology. Right. It doesn't mean that we are untrue to the mission of the church. I think when we do that, we are actually living the mission of the church and living out our theology. Well, you, you kind of asked to, to go into 
uh, very difficult and uh, touchy terrain when when we and so I'm just gonna wait in okay uh, and I'm gonna wait in and say that uh, I have a, a rubric that I use uh, it's simple assess diagnose prescribe and implement implement corrective measures and then come back and make sure that what you've implemented is working mm. right yeah right so Good. So the first thing I do is assess. And when I assess our church, I go to the numbers. Okay. And I, I have been one of the people who have been pretty much politically shoved aside and sidelined and silenced because I make it very clear that we should not be running from the truth about what we're not accomplishing. So what I mean by that is here's, I'm gonna do it here to this forum and it don't get me in trouble. But uh, in 2019, we had about 5,500 churches in North America, in the North American division. And we had about 5,000 people added to the church in North America in 2019. Hey, almost one per church. Almost <laughs> one member per church we grew by. And, and it's worse, of course, in the COVID pandemic, right? Mercy. But, but so, and that means with all of our church salaries, all of our pastors, all of our buildings, all of our set, uh, um, budgets, our, our travel budgets, you know, we most, many, I should say many of our fields, the, the travel budget is bigger than the evangelism budget. Mercy. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so we, we, here, here we have this situation where everything we throw at winning people, we have not been able to win, not only, not even one member per church per year. Uh, and when I told that to one of our leaders, they said, yeah, we, 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 I went back to the, the archives and statistics people because I didn't think that was right. And I had them to adjust the numbers. And it's now 1.1 member per church per year. Okay. So I'm saying let's all get on the same page and say this is not acceptable. Uh, and And... It's, and, and also, let me tell you, it's actually worse in the regional conferences. One of the reasons being is that we have not cleaned up our books yeah. for many, many years. One brave conference, and I hope they don't mind me calling out, calling out their name, and it's, it's the uh, Allegheny East Conference. They told all of their church clerks, do not send us names of people the, who are no longer members of the church that you can't find anymore. And when they, when the clerks did that, they adjusted their numbers down from, I think about 40,000 members to 30,000 members. They adjusted their numbers by 10,000, a, a quarter of the membership was just gone. So I'm just saying that if we do an assessment, we've got to be honest. And, and I know leaders just like to give good news, but to tell the people the facts. 
Tell the people what we're dealing with. We, 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 and, 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 and my, my last point on this is um, from my work with the Dream Academy, I think I found out why the American educational system is failing. And I think I see an opportunity for us as a church to really make a big difference. Uh, I didn't know when, when I started this work that whenever a child in the United States of America receives a bad grade from a teacher, almost never, ever, ever is the bad grade handed back to the child with help, with tutorials, with corrective instruction to fix the problem they didn't understand that caused them to get a bad grade in the first place. It's the only place where we routinely do diagnosis and never do a prescription yeah. And we call it education. Uh, and by the way, it's it's killing. Uh, you know, I see that President Pollard is on uh, tonight, at, and 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 I know part of the struggle of our colleges, our HBCUs, is we don't have uh, our young people who are coming in don't have the the, the literacy skills uh, that they really need to do well. And and mm -hmm. so we need to start in our local churches ministries that really prep our kids to, to do well. And then the final thing I'll tell you is this. God showed me that from the moment a child is born in the United States of America, they receive educate they receive information in a new language that I've coined called IAM, which is images and video. Uh, whether it's Coco Melon, whether it's Daniel Tiger, whatever. It, they have been receiving information via images and video. Well, when they get to first grade, we put them behind a desk. And let me tell you what God showed me and gave me this quote, a desk can never compete with a screen. <laughs> a desk can never compete with an interactive, vibrant, engaging screen and and so we have kids who uh, we have to get them to be bilingual images and video are their native language it's their core language but we've got to teach them uh, how to be bilingual if they're going to if they're going to succeed because this 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 new language of images and video their minds have been rewired and, right. and they, they can't do well unless we teach them and help them to do better. Oh, man, that, that, is, that is so on point because even for um, someone like myself who, has to, who had to relearn how to do uh, images to understand what the stories of images do and, 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 and those kinds of things, it is, it is a challenge that I think some of our kids are not getting that, that education because we ourselves as adults don't know that how to do it. And yeah. so we need right. to, we need to do that for ourselves so that we can help our children. Listen, I saw uh, elder tap in the chat as well. And uh, he says uh, there has to be a part two on this topic, even if it's not black history month, listen, elder tap, if you're still there, we would love to have you come, come on and join us for, for this part yeah. two as well. Um, for those of you that may not know, elder tap is the uh, newly elected president or fairly newly elected president of the Potomac conference. And, and that actually is a black history first, um, in terms of having a, uh, uh, um, 
person of color and black man become a president of what has been traditionally a state conference. And so um, we're excited to, uh, to Pastor Paul, before, yes. before we move on, I think um, Dr. Phipps, you, you, you tapped on something there, but I, it's glaring. It's on my screen. I'm looking at it. Um, we're talking about how we can help fix the problem. Um, I thought you were going to talk about the dream Academy. Um, okay. and, and, uh, don't, don't, please don't be shy. You know, you, you know, there's no humble it at the PRT as I'm borrowing that from my uh, Bishop Kirk. <laughs> from Kirk. There's no humble here because what you're doing there at the dream Academy is major. And so share a little bit about the, that ministry, uh, that's happening and, uh, there at, uh, at the dream Academy. Well, I will tell you just quickly how it all got started. I was on an Amtrak train from Baltimore to Philadelphia about 30 years ago. And on Amtrak, when you don't want somebody sitting next to you, you camp out and put your food around you and your papers and you send a message, find someplace else to sit. Well, this man had camped out, but I looked into his eyes and he looked really discouraged. There were other seats available. And I walked up to him, I said, is anybody sitting next to you? And he smiled, he said, no. And he pulled up his papers in his briefcase. And that man's name was Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson of Watergate fame, who went to prison for the Watergate scandal and came out and started what became the largest prison ministry in the world called Prison Fellowship Ministries. And we became dear friends and he began to take me into the prisons with him and he would speak and I would sing. And that's where my life was changed. You know, as an Adventist pastor, I was sheltered from mm -hmm. the reality of what black people have been dealing with mm -hmm. for decades when it comes to mass incarceration. And uh, I remember one prison I went to in Ridgeland, South Carolina, uh, as I'm greeting the young man, just for a moment, I felt like I was at Oakwood. I felt like I was on a black college campus, except it was prison. Mm -hmm. uh, I, went, I went to a prison in, in Marion, Florida, and as I was singing, I sang at the men's prison. I went over to the women's prison and I sang at the women's prison. When I finished, a young lady came up to me, pregnant, about to have her baby in prison, tears in her eyes. She said, excuse me, sir. She said, your wife named Linda. I said, yeah. She said, that's my aunt. Wow. And then we started looking at it. And, you know, seven of my wife's brothers and sisters have been incarcerated at some point in their lives. Her oldest sister had six children. Five of them have been in prison. And so this was birthed, yeah. born in mm -hmm. my spirit. What can we do to break this cycle? Because get this, 70% of all the kids in America who go to prison come from the children of those who are in prison now. And so I said, let's build ministry to break that cycle of intergenerational incarceration. And so we're coming up on our 25th year of operation. I don't know how we've survived millions and millions of dollars each year. But I will tell you this, uh, it's a parachurch ministry, mm -hmm. meaning yeah. we, we, are, we are trying to do what the church church's budgets have not been assigned to do. And, uh, and, and we have been, uh, we, we haven't received a lot of support from within the church as a result. Uh, the, the, the only way you're going to, get a lot of support from within the church is if the leaders uh, say, let's put it as one of our budget items, if you understand what I mean. So mm -hmm. so we, we've carried out this work for 25 years almost uh, with the, the, the support of non-Adventist uh, 
wealthy people. And, and, and allow me to give you one more testimony of how God has provided, how God, you know, yes, the Lord brought Oprah Winfrey into my life 41 years ago, and she's given millions and millions and millions and millions and millions to keep it going. But, but I, I, I got a call from a young white gentleman about 17 years ago. He said, sir, you don't know me. He said, but the music has been a blessing to me. He said, um, I was up one night, I was working for my father's used car shop and I was up one night and I saw the advertisement to send in a few hundred dollars and we'll send you a list of government contracts. He said, Mr. Phipps, I sent it for the list. I was going through and I saw this offer to build a 60,000 square foot building for the National Archives. He said, I put it for the bid and I won the bid. Mr. Phipps, I've never done anything like this. I've never built a building, but I know it's God that gave me this opportunity. When I dedicate the building, would you be willing to come and sing mm. at the opening and dedication of the building? I said, sure. So I fly out to Tucson, Arizona. I'm meeting this young man for the first time, but that feeling that I've gotten a few times in my life came over me and I said to him, you know, I don't know why, but God has impressed me to tell you he's going to make you a very wealthy man. Hmm. And he's saying, wow. you know, you're trying to figure what in the world am I talking about? Three months later, I was singing at Mid-American Nazarene University in Nazarene, in, in, in Olathe, Kansas. When I finished, I'm speaking to the student body. And I said, you know, before I close, there's somebody out here, God has impressed me that he's going to bless with wealth to be used for his kingdom. Well, little did I know the man who built the building in Tucson, Arizona, actually lived in Kansas City and heard that I was coming to this school. He and his wife snuck into the back. And when I said this thing again, he came up to me in tears. What is God trying to say to me? Wow. Well, a year and a half went by and he called and he said, do you remember? I said, oh man, I said, it's good to hear from you. He said, I got about a thousand employees now. Wow. He said, uh, he's the owner of one of the largest cloud computing companies on planet earth. Oh, yes. The, the, yes. the undersea fiber optic cables that go from Europe to America terminated one of his facilities. And he's had me sing and dedicate Every one of his million Come square on. foot buildings, million square foot buildings with nothing but rows and rows of computer service. Well, about a few months ago, two or three months ago, and he's been a member of our board of, of directors of the Dream Academy. A few months ago, I looked up on my phone and a company by the name of Blackstone bought his company for $10 billion. $10 billion. Wow. And, and, and so it, is, it has been through miracles like that that God has blessed us to stay alive. I would love to be able to, to for the church to see us as part of uh, necessary ministry, yeah. urgent ministry uh, that they would support. But uh, we, we focus on what I call the three Bs. Uh, the first B is... Uh, Believing, we're trying to get people to believe what we believe, right? That's our first B that we support. The second B is belonging. We're trying to get you in the pool. We're trying to get you to join. We want you to become one of us. The third B is behaving. We want you to learn how to comport and how to be good Adventists. And we all leave out the last B, which is becoming. Mm. And we need to figure out ways to help people grow in their character to become more like the character of Christ. So you're hearing a pastor who has been in his church for 20 years, yeah, who, yeah. who has seen some major gaps that the church needs to address. And it is my prayer that someone listening, like 
Pastor Tapp and uh, uh, Dr. Pollard and others, that they will see wisdom in trying to uh, respond to some of the ass assessment and the diagnosis that I have, I've been able to do over the years. Good stuff, Dr. Powerful. Phipps, we, we have some, some folks in the chat. They want you to speak into their lives. So we, <laughs> so we, we'll, we'll give you a moment to do that towards the end. But um, <laughs> Dr. Paul, I know we got to go, but I want to ask uh, Pastor Hoy to share about a, a, a project that she's doing of the church engaging the community, the blood drive that the Office of for Regional Conference Ministry is actually sponsoring and has begun the process and plan. Share with us what is happening with that project, uh, Pastor Hall. Awesome, thank you so much. I'd actually like to speak about two, two things. Uh, our regional blood drives are a response to our nation's um, severe lack of blood donors. Uh, for African-Americans, uh, sickle cell disease is the largest genetic disease in, the, in America, um, genetic blood disease, I should say, in America. And right now, because of COVID, there's been a severe shortage of blood. Uh, African-Americans in particular, we're, we're not really blood donors, uh, given lots of different reasons from our history. Uh, but there's a portion of our community who actually needs us. And as African-Americans, we can help save lives. And so we're sponsoring blood drives. Um, our big date is April 30th, uh, but we're hoping churches will host blood drives in April, May, and June to help meet this critical need for blood. Um, you can go to our uh, Facebook page for the Office for Regional Conference Ministries, our website, and find more information, how you can host. We'll walk you through this process of partnering with the American Red Cross. Uh, we have promotional material for you. Uh, what you really need to do is have the space. Uh, so a fellowship hall or a huge classroom or a gymnasium uh, at your church. And then the second thing is recruit donors from your churches and your com the wider community uh, to give blood. And, and we are being relevant and responding to a need as, as Jesus would. Uh, and as we talk about remaining relevant, understanding what's happening and, and being willing to jump in and play a role. Uh, so that's the blood drive. The second thing I'd like to talk to you about is the VersaCare Foundation. It is the largest non-family Adventist foundation. Uh, I have the privilege of serving on the board and the VersaCare Foundation uh, gives money for churches to do community engagement. The very thing that we are talking about today, they offer funds to help churches do the ministry that they'd like to do. And so when I hear yeah. churches say, oh, I'd love yeah. to do this, but we just don't have the money. Yeah. I tell you, yes, there's money out there to help you. And there are people out there who will help walk you through the process of, as Jesus did, he first socialized, he went out and he learned the community. He sympathized, he saw what was hurting and their, their hurt became his hurt. And, and then, you know, uh, Jesus served, he met the needs that were there. He secured their trust. People said, man, this Jesus is all right. Uh, and then he said, follow me. And, and he was able to save those souls. And so I want to encourage you that if you have, um, a ministry that is on your heart that meets the needs of your community and you'd like help, I'm willing to talk. Uh, and the VersaCare Foundation is there for you to apply for funds. 
allow me allow me to say one last thing too on this uh we we have been blessed through the years to have many of the church leaders come to our events so many of them at the highest levels of our church know about the dream academy but if there's anybody who's watching who wants to know more about it just go to our website www.usdreamacademy.org you're able to see what we do you're able to see uh uh how, how the lord has blessed us for 25 years you know, let me tell you one of the one of the reasons it's a miracle that we're here did you know that there are, there's about 70 billion dollars that are given by ch uh, foundations to in the form of grants and what uh, and so on, and the like to organizations that are 501c3s that are uh, doing work uh, all over this country of the 70 billion given by Gates Foundation, Eli Lilly, Kellogg, all those foundations, of the 70 billion, only 3% go to organizations that are run by people of color. Wow. Of the 70 wow. billion given to chat to all charities in America, only 3% go to organizations that are run by people of color. And uh, and so the fact that after 25 years, almost 25 years, God has allowed us to still be doing this work is nothing but a miracle from heaven. And we're going to need more miracles to keep going. And so if you if you feel led of God, just go online and, and look at the work the U.S. Dream Academy does. And we would love you to support us in the work that we do. Good. Listen, we see that there are several of you that are asking for contact information. This is a great opportunity um, for you to um, make make yourself acquainted with the Pastors Roundtable, um, um, not YouTube page. What is it? Website. website. The website. website. On the website, you will see the list of all of the season one through season four shows that have been done. And, and each one has show notes. And we put all of those details in the show notes. Um, I'm thinking, Roger, what we probably could also start doing. And, and TJ, T, TJ is always behind the scenes listening. I don't know if it's TJ or someone else. But what we can do is also start putting some of that contact information in the description of the of the show on the uh, at least on the YouTube channel where some of those things would fit. So keep an eye out for that right now. Um, within a day or so, you should be able to go to the to the to the web page and be able to catch uh, this information in the show notes. But